Uh, we are in the middle of our Holy Stories series, sermon series. How's that been so far? You liking it? I think it's awesome. Thank you. That is great. I love the stories of the Bible. It just makes everything so much more real, doesn't it? And we can understand it. And as I said when I preached the first time on Nehemiah, I hesitate to even call them stories. Because what does that make you think of? Yeah, Peter Pan, Cinderella, fiction. Uh, We've got to remember, these are documentations of real events that happen to real people. Uh, and so we can really learn and, and draw from that. And like uh, one lady gave me a note after the other one saying, they're not just stories, they're histories. And in parentheses, his stories. Oh, that's pretty cool. They're his stories. He puts them all in the Bible so that we can learn from other people's mistakes instead of our own. That's better, right? I'd rather learn from your mistakes than mine. Sorry. So we're in week five. Uh, Pastor Mike started out, or no, I started out preaching on the story of Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah was called to rebuild the city of Jerusalem? The walls were crumbled down and had been just destroyed. And imagine being called to do that and sitting here looking at this entire city and going, yeah, we're going to rebuild these walls and rebuild the whole city. Are you kidding? Imagine how overwhelming that would be. And we looked at, we need to be, understand the state of our city and the people around us and what needs to be done here. And when you look at that, too, that's overwhelming, isn't it? But what did Nehemiah do? One family looked out the door of their house and saw the section of wall in front of their house and went, we can do that. We can rebuild that section. And the next group came in and said, hey, we'll do the next section. And the next family said, we'll do this section. Another group of people said, we'll do this section. We'll do this section. And they rebuilt the wall of the entire city. Man, that's a picture of the family of God, isn't it? That's exactly what we are called to. And I love that story because it shows us we each have our little part. It's not overwhelming when you just go, okay, God, what piece do you have me for me for this? So I thought that was really a, a cool story that we can learn so much from. The second week, Pastor Mike preached on the parable of the sower. A sower sowing the seed. Of course, the seed representing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the soil representing us, our hearts, people, and how we receive that seed, uh, the good news of Christ. And, you know, he talked about how some of the seed fell on rocks and just instantly blew away, and, or the birds got it or whatever and didn't take root. Some of it fell on pretty shallow soil, so it took root and started to grow right away. But, boy, when it dried up, there was no... no it was rock below that, and they couldn't go any deeper, and so the roots weren't very deep. Well, that represents those of us who receive the good news of Christ and say, yeah, that sounds good, but we don't dig in, we don't go any deeper, and just kind of end up withering away and going on our own life. Uh, and then there's those seeds that fall among the thorns and the weeds and all that stuff and get tangled up and can't really grow because they're engulfed with all these seeds. Well, that's those of us that receive the gospel, say, yeah, I want to serve God. We've got so many things going on, and we're entangled in things of this world, and we're busy, and we kind of forget about God and get tangled up in that stuff and don't really grow or take root either. Then, of course, there's the, the good soil where the seed falls, the roots go down deep where the moisture is, take hold, grow up, and produce fruit. That's the kind of Christian I want to be, right? We want to take root. We want to grow up and be strong in Christ and serve him well. And we'll look at a little of that here today, too. So that was pretty neat. And then uh, Pastor Mike preached on the, par- the lost parables. Not that the parables were lost, 
but there were parables about lost things, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, talking about how Jesus cares so much about the lost, about people who don't know him, people who are wandering and confused and whatever. And he left the 99 just to get the one, and how we need to have the heart of Christ. We need to see things the same way. We need to see the people around us and have that kind of a desire to help them, right? And then last week, he preached about the unmerciful servant on the subject of forgiveness and bitterness. And I love how he put it. Holding on to bitterness and expecting it to hurt your enemy is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It just doesn't work that way, does it? Bitterness damages you, not the other person. So let it go. Forgive. You're not hurting the other person by not forgiving. You're hurting yourself. Let that go. That was powerful. I like that a lot. So this week, I get to talk to you about Mark chapter 2. This is a story that I just love from the Bible, and I remember it from... Yeah, I was a Sunday school snot, little boy running around. Do any of you remember that far back? Do you remember flannel graphs? Yeah, we got a few. Remember that? Yeah, they had paper pictures all colored and everything with this stuff on the back, so it would stick to a flannel board. And I remember this story from way back then, the pictures of them bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus and them lowering through the roof and doing all that. And man, there was yarn that looked like ropes and... It's stuck in my head. So see, those things were valuable. You always remember them. So I really like this story, and I started thinking about, okay, what story am I going to preach on? And this one popped into my head, and I started praying about it. I went, wow, can we learn from this? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, sorry, got to have my coffee. So to set this up, first of all, in Mark chapter 1, which... I learned in preacher school, Mark chapter 1 comes before Mark chapter 2. Just thought I'd enlighten you with that. It sets this up because in Mark chapter 1 is where John the Baptist is, or you could call him JB if you're tight with him maybe. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. He's saying, hey, there's a Messiah coming. He's one who is greater than I. He's one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to loose. Uh, and he's coming. And so he was preparing the way for Jesus. And... Um, then Jesus comes and John baptizes him, and that was a pretty neat event, declaring that he was the Son of God. Then Jesus called his disciples later in chapter 1, said, come and follow me, and so they left their professions and came and followed Jesus. Uh, and they went to Capernaum, and Jesus at this time in chapter 1 began really establishing, realized he'd been on the earth for close to 30 years already, and his ministry had not yet begun. So he at this time started to really establish who he was. They went to Capernaum and he was doing miracle after miracle, healing people, casting out evil spirits. He healed the man with leprosy. And so he was gathering a following. People were going, man, you got to come to this. Jesus guy is a really good teacher and he heals people. It's amazing. So he was getting famous and gathering people to him. And so that's where they were at. And we're going to pick it up in chapter two from there. So let's pray one more time and then we'll dig into chapter two and see where we're at. Lord God, I'm just so thankful that you don't leave us down here wandering around aimlessly, God, that you give us your word. You give us even these stories so that we can learn things in a better and in a more real way. And I pray that today, through this chapter, through your word, you would enlighten us and just open our eyes to see you for who you are, God. 
and to dig in, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so let's read the first four verses of Mark chapter 2. Dig into this story. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. So, there's the beginning of the story. These guys have a friend who's paralyzed. Understand, this was a big problem, especially back then, because there was no such thing as disability or social security or assistance of any kind. He had to be, in order to live, how could, he couldn't go out and get food, he couldn't build him a place to live, he couldn't take care of himself. He had to rely on family and friends to take care of him. The community would gather around him and do that. So these guys wanted to get him help. And I don't know, maybe that's why they were so desperate and anxious to get him help. They were tired of taking care of him. I don't know. But in any case, they wanted to get their friends some help. And they had heard the stories about Jesus, that he was this great healer, and went, boy, maybe he can help him out. So they bring him to see Jesus. Well, because he was so popular, this is a house, somebody's house that... Uh, Jesus was in speaking. And it was so crowded, it says there was people outside the door. I would imagine they're at the windows, you know, peeking in and climbing up, trying to see and hear what was going on. I can just imagine they were surrounding this whole place. And these guys couldn't get in with their friend. Well, I don't know about you, if you've helped someone out or been asked to help someone or done something like that. Hopefully you were very motivated and good-hearted to do that. But, you know, sometimes we're really busy and it's going on. It's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so we do it, but our heart's not really in it. Well, these guys had every opportunity to get out of it right here, didn't they? Well, I mean, we brought you here. Look, we can't even get in to see Jesus. It's crowded. Sorry, buddy. We tried. Maybe next time. And they could have gone back to their work or whatever else. But they didn't, did they? They were bound and determined to get him in. And why? They knew that their answer lied inside that house, that the answer was with Jesus. And so they're bound and determined and persistent, and they wanted to get him in there. That's the first lesson I learned from this. Do you know that that's the kind of Christians God's looking for? You don't need no wimpy Christians. Persistence, determination, confidence in that your answer lies there, and that's where I'm going to get the answer. Man, God loves that kind of a servant. And that's what we need to be. So imagine if this happened here. <laughs> you guys might want to move because you're going to get some stuff falling down on your head pretty soon. There would be somebody here climbing up on the roof, and the, today, of course, it would be saws. They'd be sawing and cutting a hole, and we're in the middle of a service, and all of a sudden there's all this noise and commotion and stuff falling down. What would you think? And what would you think of those guys? In those days, it was no different. They knew this wasn't going to be a popular decision. First of all, this is not their house. My first thought is, where's the homeowner? Does he have homeowner's insurance? Because his roof is getting dug up, right? There's probably sod roofs back then. So they knew this wasn't going to be a popular thing to do. These people are here to hear Jesus speak, not for someone to interrupt them and start digging a hole in in the roof and to drop someone down there. But did that stop them? No. Because they knew the answer lied within, and we've got to get him there somehow, some way. They were confident, 
in the solution, that it was there. So, some people have boldness and confidence in the wrong things. Take Sven and Oli, for instance. You're up for a good Sven and Oli joke, right? So, Sven, this is one my dad used to tell me all the time when I was little, and I just love it. Uh, but it kind of illustrated the point. And I went, hey, this fits. I get a chance to tell a joke. This is great. Sven and Oli are deer hunting, okay? And they're out stumbling around, and somehow they stumble across a great big 12-point buck. And Oli gets his rifle out and pulls it up and shoots, and somehow shoots this buck and kills it. And man, they're just happy. We got this big deer. So they field dress it out and get it all going, and they were a long ways from their car, and they're like, oh, we got to get it to the car. We better start pulling. So Sven grabs the tail, Oli grabs the hind legs, and they start pulling this deer through the woods. And man, it's a lot of work. The antlers are digging in the dirt and getting in the branches and the brush, and man, it's just hard going, but they're pulling and pulling and pulling. Finally, they stop to take a break. They're so tired, and they're huffing and puffing, and a couple of other hunters come by and go, wow, that's a nice deer. Yeah, yeah, Oli shot it. And they're talking, and the guys say, you know, Sven and Oli, there's a better way to do this. Like, really? He says, if you take the antlers and lift them and pull him like that, then you've got him up out of the dirt. You've got him out of the brush. The fur is not getting ruffled the wrong way. It's getting smooth. The legs are in the right direction, so they're not going to get stuck in the branches. And it's a whole lot easier to pull them that way. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. So they grab the antlers, and they start pulling. And sure enough, it's way easier. So they're pulling and pulling and pulling this deer. And they go, oh, it's great. Then they stop for a rest, and Sven says to Oli, he goes, boy, those were some smart hunters. This is much easier. And Oli says, yeah, but I think we're getting further and further from the car. <laughs> well, they're dragging this way. <laughs> See, pull the other direction. So be confident in the right things, okay? Make sure you're going in the right direction. But the point is we can be confident in our Savior, can't we? We're going in the right direction. We're not pulling backwards. We're going towards the car, not away from it. Our Savior is the real solution. So be confident in the right thing. Be bold. Be courageous. Be that kind of Christian, right? Cool, cool. Let's look at some other verses that talk about this. Romans 2, verses 6 through 8 says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good... Seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. How many like the first selection there? I do. I want eternal life. Those who by persistence in doing good. So the Bible talks, and we could get into tons of verses about this, about persistence. That means there's resistance, right? Because if there's no resistance, you wouldn't need persistence, you just go. There's resistance. There always is. But as Christians, we can't be deterred by that. Again, we know where our answer lies. We need to be confident, persistent, and push forward and then get the reward. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Here it is. He will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. 
Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Wow, that's the kind of Christian I want to be, right? You see, if you're digging in, if you know who your Savior is, you know who the solution is, you're confident, you're persistent, you're going after, your roots are going down deep, then no matter what comes, so what? I'm confident in my God. I'm confident where my Savior, uh, who my Savior is and where my solution lies. Let the storms come. Let the drought come. My roots are down deep. There's water there. That's my source. There we are. But I love that picture. It's so cool. I want to be that tree planted by the water. Praise God. And see what? That is also living the abundant life, isn't it? That's a whole lot better than a life of weakness and being confused and and all that. This is all part of what we were talking about, the Abundant Life series and bringing it up here. It all comes together. This is part of being a full uh, Christian. Okay, so the paralytic man, we'll go back to that story. They lower him down on the mat, and let's see what Jesus does. Let's read verses 5 through 9. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I said, wait, what? Do you not know the man's paralyzed? Do you think he came here for that? They allow him down to get paralyzed, and right away Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That kind of threw me. And there was also some other teachers of the law sitting there that were thinking some different things too. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? So as I looked at this, I went, okay, that kind of gives us an answer of why he was doing it. I, I, I thought, they go through all this work, they dig through a ceiling, they climb up there, they let him down and, to get healed from his being paralyzed, and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was doing two major things here. First of all, he was establishing very clearly that he wasn't just some guy who had a gift of healing and was a good teacher. He wanted to put in their heads right away, I am God, I'm the Son of God, and I have the power to forgive your sins and repair you spiritually, not just physically. That was important for him to establish at this point because they were coming for the show, he was building a lot of fame, and he wanted to say, look, yes, this is great, but here's who I am. The second thing he was doing was demonstrating what's really important, setting priorities. And this can be tough for us sometimes. What was more important, for this guy to get healed of his being paralyzed or that his sins were forgiven and he was in a right relationship with God? Pretty clear what was more important in Jesus' eyes because the first thing he did is your sins are forgiven. This is tough for us to handle sometimes when we're praying for something and we want to get healed or we're praying for a financial situation or whatever it may be. It seems like that's pretty important, doesn't it? But wow, there might be a whole lot of other things we need to deal with that are so much more important than that. We need to keep perspective. Let me ask you this. This is tough. Would it have been a good thing if Jesus would have healed this man of being paralyzed? He got up and walked away and never was forgiven, never made right with God, never had a right relationship with God. That'd be disaster, wouldn't it? I mean, his life here on earth would be much better because he wouldn't be paralyzed, but what about eternity? Isn't that more important than being physically healed? 
How many of you have ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? If you haven't, you probably haven't prayed before, right? It's happened to all of us. It always happens. Why? We don't know the answer all the time. But in looking at this and other situations in the Bible, could it be that sometimes, not always, but sometimes, as much as it hurts God, he might be saying, I've got to let you go through this some more because there's got to be a change of heart. Something you need to learn through this, which is far more important than you getting out of this desperate situation that seems so important to you. Right? That's tough. But could it be? I think so. I think it's pretty clear. And don't get me wrong, I'm not one of those preachers saying, oh, any time that we pray for someone and they're not healed, you need to repent. You're not getting healed because you need, you know. No, not always. But sometimes could it be that we need to have a change of heart? We need to look at what's really important, spiritual healing, physical healing, or whatever it is. That's what I learned from this. Priorities. I'm going to read this just because I wrote it down. I want to make sure I get it right. When we pray for something and it doesn't happen, why? We do not know all of the mysteries of God. We do not know why prayers are not always answered in the way that we think they should be. But could it be that sometimes God knows that, as much as it may hurt him, he must allow us to go through things so that we can learn from them or have a heart change or something far more important than the thing that we're praying about? Priorities, what's important, physical healing, spiritual healing. The other thing is when we know, when we have roots down, when we're in that tree on the water, when we know who our Savior is and our source is, isn't it a lot easier to go through the trials of life? And when you're in the middle of something tough, it's kind of like that tree. Oh, a drought's coming. My roots are down deep. I'm okay. A storm's coming. Cool, I got deep roots. I can hang on. Man, is that cool to be that kind of a Christian. That's where God wants us to be. And that can only come by seeing things from the right priority perspective. Things of this earth are not as important as things of heaven, right? Okay. Well, let's continue on the story here and see what happens. See how Jesus finishes this up. We'll read the last three verses of that chapter. So Jesus already told the man, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, whoa, what are you talking about? Only God can forgive sins. So he says, I can forgive sins. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So guess what? God is our healer. He does care about our physical condition or our financial condition or our whatever situation we're in. He is our healer. Yeah, he wants to make sure our heart's right, but when we're truly seeking him, he is our healer, and he does have the power to heal, and he'll do it. Amen? That's good news. That's good to know. All right, I want to spend some time on this because this, to me, was the biggest thing I grabbed from this. If you really think about this story, think about this man and his situation. I don't know, he might have been paralyzed from birth, we don't know. But there was obviously a lot of people that knew him and knew that he was paralyzed and knew that afterwards he was not. How do you think this affected him for the rest of his life? Aside from the fact that he could now walk and do things mentally and spiritually, how do you think this affected him for the rest of his life? Or affected his family and friends that saw this? 
or affected everybody who was in this house and saw it happen. Is that not something concrete that they could grab onto in the future? If things weren't going the way they should or if they were battling with something or they're having doubts, is God real? <laughs> oh no, remember that day? That's something we can grab onto. This is something that my brother Mark, he's the missionary in Thailand, he calls these fig tree moments. Does that mean anything to anyone? Probably not. I'm like, Mark, what are you talking about? Fig tree moments. This comes later in the book of Mark, uh, and we're going to look at it. It's something that Jesus did when he was with his disciples. Uh, so let's read Mark 11, verses 12 through 14, and this is when he was with his disciples and then doing some ministry and everything. So the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Oh, isn't that odd? Jesus was hungry. Well, couldn't he just put out his hand and say, I want figs? And boom, there they would have been. He created everything. But he does this. He sees a fig tree in the distance. He knows it's not the season for figs. It says so there. But still, he goes to the tree and brings his disciples with and looks at it, and there's no figs on it, and so he curses it and says, may you never bear fruit again. So confusing, isn't it? It just didn't make sense to me until I started looking further. It goes on in the chapter. They went on into Bethany. They did all these things. He, I think that's when he chased the money changers out of the temple and did a whole bunch of stuff. It was an eventful day. They went back. Let's pick it up the next morning in verses 20 through 23. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So he did this because he knew the next day they'd be coming by that tree again and they could see it. And that was a road that they traveled often in the future, and so he did it right here. From then on, every time they walked by, they'd see that withered tree and go, remember when Jesus did that? Wow. Fig tree moments. This moment for the paralyzed man was a fig tree moment. He could always look back on and could grab a hold of and say, that was God. Are there times in your life when you can look back and say, man, that was God? I'm sure there are. If not, look for them. They're there. When they happen, write them down. Keep track because, man, that's something we need to hold on to. Uh, uh, fig tree moments from God. As I look back, that, back at that for myself, there's several. Uh, probably the earliest thing I remember that just is a fig tree moment for me and just sticks out in my mind. I was probably 13 years old, maybe, at Lake Geneva Bible Camp down in Alexandria. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was such a crazy, powerful experience. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't sleep all night. I was just vibrating, just filled with the Spirit of God. Nobody can ever tell me God's not real. Nobody can ever tell me that the gifts of the Spirit are not real and are not for today. <laughs> no way. It just doesn't make sense to me. 
That'd be like me holding this cup and you telling me it's not real. It's right here. What are you talking about? It's real. And nobody can ever tell me that that's not real. That's a fig tree moment I can hang on to. Um, other things, believe it or not, even though I was a Sunday school snot, I was not always a straight-laced guy. I was, I mean, I was a nice guy, but my biggest hobby, I, I loved to build cars and race them on the street. I just loved muscle cars back in the day when muscle cars were muscle cars, and, you know. And that was fun. But as a result, I totaled out several cars, and I shouldn't be here today. And the one that really stands out is just absolutely crazy to me. I had a 74 Dodge Dart Sport, all hopped up, and that was a fun car. But I wasn't even racing. Okay, I was going faster than I should be, but I wasn't racing at this time. I was going to work. I was working nights at a, a plastics plant down in central Minnesota, and I hit some frost on the road. I'm flying along, come around this curve, hit the frost, went sideways, went down. There's big, deep ditches because it's out in the country. And I'm sliding sideways in the ditch. And I look... And there's a great big driveway and a post. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to hurt. And the next thing I knew, I was on the ditch on the other side of it. That was odd. I ended up moving back and around, getting out. The car was bashed up a little bit, but I did get to work because it was my first night of work at a new job. And uh, so I got there, got that done. In the morning on the way home, I'm thinking about it. I couldn't believe it. I stopped and I looked, looked at my tracks, and here I am sliding completely sideways, in this ditch, it's uphill here a long ways, and I got here, and all of a sudden my car went, Oop. that's physically impossible. Why would it do that? It just wouldn't. I have no doubt in my mind that God went, Larry, I still got some plans for you. I'm not ready for you to go yet. That's a fig tree moment. I can hang on to that and say, God is real. God is there. God cares. He's watching over us. He takes care of us. No doubt in my mind. There's been financial situations, times in our lives when you lose a job or whatever and in a tough spot, and you look at all these bills, how can, there's no way. I don't get paid for another week and a half, and yet these bills are here and they have to get paid now. How is it going to happen? Every single time, it was right there, just when, it was, when I needed it. God is amazing. Those are fig tree moments I can hang on and remember and go, Remember that time we had that one bill, we just, no way it was going to get paid, and all of a sudden the money was there somehow? Hang on to that. Fig tree moments. We've got to hang on to them. We've got to know where our source is. We've got to be persistent in getting to that source uh, and be confident in our God. Amen? Cool, cool. So there's three things from this story that I want you to remember. Be confident, be persistent, Know where your answer lies. Go after it. Don't quit. All right? Number two, make sure your priorities are straight. Make sure you understand that spiritual matters are far more important than earthly matters. Get your heart right. Ask God to show you if there's anything you need to change, man. Make it right. And then number three, hang on to those fig tree moments because they're there. Hang on to them. Don't, don't, don't just give in when the, when the devil tries to convince you otherwise. Go, oh, no, no, God's God. Remember when he did that? He saved you. I mean, that alone. Think about where you've been and where you are now, what he's done. He saved you, redeemed you, forgave you. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? It's great. That's the story of the paralyzed man. I've been winning some brownie points with you guys this weekend because I've been letting you out a little bit early. So nothing wrong with that, right? 
So we're a little bit early again. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down and we're going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you guys. These guys are committed to praying with you to whoever needs it, so don't be afraid to come down and spend some time in prayer. Uh, if you have questions, anything you want to talk to them about, just hang out. That's what they're here for. It's awesome. God is good, amen? I just love that we can dig into his word like this and, and see things from a whole new perspective. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much that you are our source. You are our healer. You are our redeemer, our savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and that you care so much about us and especially our spiritual state. You forgive us, you redeem us, and make us right with you so we can someday spend eternity with you. Lord, help us to dig in. Help us to know where we stand and have confidence and boldness in serving you with everything we've got, Lord God. I pray that this week you'd encourage us to dig into your words, dig those roots down, get them going so they're established to spend time with you and let your Holy Spirit wash over us and change us and build us and grow us and make us strong, Lord. I pray for safety as we all go from this place today, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.